When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the summer tour edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And my guest today is a Conroe, Texas native who's sometimes known as the Limestone Kid, or more recently, the Gold Chain Cowboy. Parker McCullum spent childhood summers working on his grandfather's ranch and listening to classic country. He started writing songs with the guidance of his older brother and played his first gig at 16. But it wasn't until he moved to Austin, Texas, that he knew he'd found his calling as an artist. Today on the show, Parker talks about his mother's cooking, his commitment to writing songs that stand the test of time, his sold-out Houston rodeo show, and the first time he heard George Strait sing Amarillo by Morning. Plus, Parker shares the wild story of Hollywood Gold, his grandfather's championship cutting horse, and the namesake of his 2020 EP. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Parker McCollum, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Hey, thank you, Sid. Thanks for having me on. Parker, where am I reaching you right now? I'm in my house in Nashville, Tennessee. You're based mostly in Nashville these days, or are you still getting back to Texas a good bit? Yeah, I was splitting time for about two years and then got rid of my place in Austin and bought a newer place here. And then uh, currently trying to buy a ranch back in Texas. and make that move in the very, very near future. All right. keep this place here, but definitely itching to get back. So, Parker, you grew up in a little town called Conroe, Texas. Yeah, it was a little town. It's a huge town now. It's unbelievably large now, but it used to be small. (laughs) It's really grown, huh? Yeah, it was the number one fastest growing county in the United States for like several years. Wow. Well, tell me a little bit about Conroe and what it was like to grow up there. Man, you know, I miss it all the time. When I lived there growing up, I couldn't wait to get out. Now all I want to do is go back. It's kind of funny how that works out. But, man, Conroe was great. I mean, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, very large. Man, just had such a good childhood there. My granddad's a big cowboy, and my mom's dad had has two big ranches in Texas that uh, I still spend a lot of time at. Spent every summer of my life working for him up there, cowboying, and during the school year, I was in Conroe. My mom actually moved me to the Woodlands for high school to go to better schools. And so I was the only person almost in my entire family that didn't graduate from Conroe High School on both sides. But, you know, the Woodlands is three miles down the road. Now it's basically the same thing. It's all kind of mushed into one thing. But I lived in Conroe till I was 14, I think, and then moved a few miles down the road to the Woodlands, went to high school there. And man, just a, a great place to grow up. I love the pine trees. I love Every time I go home, it's like the the thing I miss the most. And that's when I'm looking at property in Texas or trying to move back, I'm looking to get back in those pine trees. It makes me feel very at home. But it's, I don't know, there's nothing really special about it, I don't think, unless you're from there. Yeah. What did your folks do for a living? My dad's been in the car business his whole life. My mom's side of the family owned a big concrete company in 
Conroe. Been there. My granddad started it 40, 50 years ago. They sold it a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, to a company out, out of Nashville. And so that was kind of like a, our home base kind of growing up was that concrete plant. And then uh, dad's still in the car business. He owns a dealership in Bernie outside of San Antonio. He lives in Austin now. And then my mom is uh, living in Fort Worth. Gotcha. You were talking about spending summers working on a ranch. Mm-hmm. Was that with your grandparents? Yeah, yeah, my granddad. We would get out of work for him on the weekends, occasionally during the school year. But as soon as school got out, man, we were at that, that ranch pretty much the whole summer. Um, it was me and my brother and our cousins. I mean, he ran a full operation, nothing glamorous about it by any stretch of the imagination. He was old school cowboy, very, very successful man, very, very hard worker. Up until the day he died, he was working at that ranch and uh, one of the greatest cowboys to ever live. And I was honored to get to be his grandson and, and get to work for him as much as I did. Parker, I saw you post something about a belt buckle that you have that belonged to your grandfather. Tell me a little bit more about him and, and the influence that he had on you growing up. The definition of the American dream is what he was, really. He was born in the Great Depression. Started that concrete company with, I think, a $250 loan from his dad. I mean, he was youngest judge in the state of Texas at one time when he was 23 years old. County commissioner, unbelievable, successful. He bred, he was a big, uh, bred quarter horses and was very successful at that. Concrete company was very successful and he built every bit of it from the ground up by himself, him and his wife, who is still alive, my grandmother, who we call JoJo. Having people like that that you're so close to that grew up and were raised in such a different time in life, such a tough time in life. They've been through a lot and seen a lot of failures and and a lot of success. And I think having an influence like him in my life from such a young age and having somebody to look up to and model myself after was just instrumental. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I realized how lucky I was to be his grandson and get to learn from him and, and, you know, strive to be more like him. And that's a great, what a blessing to have in, in life as a young man. My dad's the same way. He uh, is such an influence on me. I look up to him so much, my best friend in the world. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about those influences like that. And you get a little older, you grow up a little bit, and you start to realize how the reason that I'm able to do anything or have any sort of knowledge of anything or, or hustle or work ethic is because of those people in my life. And my granddad was such a great example of that. What were some of the jobs that you would have done during those summers? Man, we broke a lot of horses for him. He has one ranch in a town outside of Crockett, Texas, which is East Texas, and then one in Central Texas and just outside of a town called Grosbeck. And so we kind of split time between the two ranches and we broke a lot of horses for him. We worked a lot of cows for him, a lot of days working cows. He owned a lot of property across the state. And so a lot of times, you know, we'd be driving and checking on property and stuff like that. But man, those were long, very, very hot summer days that I would give anything in the world to have one more summer working for him at those ranches. And at the time, you know, I was like, man, this, this sucks. It was hot. <laughs> it was, it was no, no, no BS. I mean, it was, it's a full-time operation out there, even more so now, man, I, I really, uh, really am grateful to have had that in my life. Your album, Hollywood Gold, was named, I believe, after a racehorse that your grandfather bought a long time ago. He was a cutting horse, yeah. A cutting horse, okay. I know you've told the story before, but I'm wondering if you could just give us the the short version of it and what that 
story said about your grandfather and who he was? Yeah, Hollywood Gold was a cutting horse, I believe, from Australia that he had seen an ad for. Well, and this is way before my time. This is way before I was ever born. He had ordered this horse. He bought it and they shipped it to San Francisco, maybe. And I want to say they flew out there and hauled it back, if I'm correct. You know, just beautiful championship cutting horse. And his name Hollywood Gold. And, you know, shortly after he had the horse back in Texas, somebody stole the horse. And, you know, they'd always talk about how they went out at nighttime. For months, I think it was quite a while looking for that horse. You know, they'd go drive around town trying to find who stole this championship cutting horse. And uh, they ended up getting it back. And so it was a happy ending to the story. But I'd heard my grandma tell that story so many times, you know. And then finally one day she was saying it. I was thinking to myself, how has this never made its way into a song or anything? So when I was naming that EP, I just thought Hollywood Gold sounded great. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) I didn't realize that, that that was named after a horse, but when I heard that, I thought, well, that's just perfect. <laughs> so, Parker, I want to talk food for a minute. I know you played a lot of sports in high school, so you must have had an appetite. Who was the cook in your family? My mom, actually. You know, my parents split when I was eight, and so I lived with my mom from then on out until I graduated high school and moved to Austin. And she's a great cook. She's still a great cook. I remember one time I was in high school, she got really into making creme brulee. And for like several months, I'd come home from school every day and just stuff my face with creme brulee out of the fridge. But she's she's been a great cook my whole life. That's pretty fancy. Yeah, she I man, she's she's just talented like that, you know. And really, uh, I think she's always loved taking care of everybody and cooking for everybody and having everybody over. You know, she always welcomed my friends over at the house and always making sure we were fed. And but she has a, a true knack for that. What were some of the dishes she was kind of known for that you really? look forward to she used to make like a homemade chicken pot pie that was unbelievable her tortilla soup is not to be messed with probably award-winning if it was ever entered into some kind of tortilla soup competition she's really good and she's a great cook i feel like i've heard you say that you're still a big fan of chicken pot pie i eat them all the time actually <laughs> marie, marie calendar was the real deal <laughs> Did y'all have a lot of big family gatherings? You said that you uh, had quite a, a large family. Yes, sir. Yeah, we went to my grandma's house every, I mean, whether it was 4th of July, New Year's Eve, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, every year of my life until really this last year, I spent Christmas with my wife and her family in Oklahoma. That was the first Christmas in 29 years that I had not been at my grandma's house on Christmas morning. But yeah, my, my mom has three siblings and they all have kids. We were all kind of around the same age. You know, there's kind of a big kids group in our family and the younger kids. I was part of the younger ones. and uh, We all grew up every day of our lives together and man, just we're all really close. And all those holidays are some definitely some of my favorite memories from my childhood because those are uh, really, really good days. So are there a bunch of singers in your family? Are you kind of a standout in that regard? My brother sings a little bit, but certainly uh i'm the only one that will get up on a stage and and rip vocally <laughs> well tell me a little bit about your brother i've heard you say that your brother i think his name's tyler was a big influence on you in terms of music what are some things that you took away from him i mean pretty much everything said i mean he he was so ahead of his time 
when he was in high school and college with his knack, just natural talent that he had for writing songs and the songwriters that he was influencing and studying and passing off to me. You know, I mean, I was in intermediate school, junior high, listening to Steve Earle and the Traveling Wilburys and Rodney Krause from Houston. He had a record called Houston Kid that came out when I was real young. Uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, James McMurtry and Robert O'Keefe and Todd Snyder. And I mean, just the list goes on and on of, of all these records he was buying and listening to. And obviously I was always running around with Big Brother and fell in love with songs that, you know, were written like those guys were writing songs. Those kind of poetic, really uh, a lot of handcrafted songwriting is what we were into and he was into and and so him being so hard on me about that when I was trying to write songs and starting out, he was so adamant about, you know, we don't write these kind of songs. We don't write, you know, pick up truck beer songs. You know, he's like, we, we are real songwriters. And I really took to that and I identified with that from a very, very young age. And so I think that was kind of what planted the seed in me for eventually one day trying to get on national country radio by still writing those kind of songs. Well, you're mentioning a bunch of guys that aren't really classic country artists, people like Rodney Crowell and Steve Earle. I mean, I feel like you've kind of bridged genres in a lot of ways. Is that fair to say? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't even think about it, Sid. I really don't. It's kind of hard to turn my mind off to think about anything other than just trying to make it and trying to make it on some real songwriting that uh, could stand the test of time, hopefully one day. That is quite literally the only thing that I think about. Well, there's so many great songwriters that have come from that state, and you've got so much inspiring music to listen to and and guide you. Yeah, I mean, that's a you know not not all the best songwriters come from Texas, but a lot a lot of them do, and a lot of them did. And so, growing up there, it's 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 inevitable. If you're trying to play guitar and write songs, you're going to stumble across those guys at some point or another. Yeah. I want to ask you about George Strait. It sounds like you've listened to a lot of George Strait in your day. And uh, I think you said somewhere that he was the artist of your childhood. What is it about his music that you love? I can just remember being so young and hearing Amarillo by morning for the first time. And just that intro lick on the fiddle, just being so captivating. I was so mesmerized by that song and that melody. And that's really the earliest I can remember of him. As much as my mom loved him and my dad loved him, and I just heard his music all the time. Uh, and just such timeless, classic country songs. And he was doing it like that, kind of in a time where it was pushing to a little more of the popular stuff, right? And he was really kind of one of the last guys on the mainstream level hanging on to that. I think it's resonated with me a lot, and I identified with that. I mean, he's the king. How can you not love him? <laughs> you can't dispute it. <laughs> and there's only one, and there will never be another. There will never be yeah. another one just like him. It just won't be. It's a one-time. That's a George Strait's a one-time deal, and, and we are all lucky to have have gotten to be alive for for at least part of his career. Well, and now you've gotten to know him. I wouldn't say we know each other, but we've crossed paths a couple times and gotten to say hello, take a picture, how you doing, congratulations on everything kind of thing. So it's somebody that I really don't truly desire to know personally. John Mayer is kind of the same way. I I, I know so much about them and I, I'm so influenced by them. And there's kind of these mystical figures that I'm always chasing and, and 
that have kind of set the standard for me as an artist. Yeah, I just need that to remain that way. Once you're kind of in there and you know them personally, they don't seem so high up on that mystical scale. It's, it's, it's kind of like when you're a kid, how you look at it, I still, I want that to remain that way in my mind. <laughs> right. Well, Parker, you started songwriting pretty early and you were playing live at a pretty young age. I saw somewhere that you were playing in front of audiences when you were, I think, 16. Mm-hmm. What were some of the early gigs that really stand out for you where you really kind of felt this connection with an audience and you felt like something special was happening? I wouldn't say I felt that on stage until I was probably, after high school, I was living in Austin and living just down the road from the Saxon Bub. And uh, I wasn't old enough to get in, so I had a fake ID and I would go in there and listen to, you know, Walt Wilkins play on Wednesday nights. And that's how I ended up meeting Ryan Bingham's guitar player at Corby Shaw, who produced my first EP and my first record. And I was trying to get gigs at Booties and Spicewood, and I was trying to get a gig at, at Saxon Pub, and finally was able to to pull it off and kind of got to start playing there a little bit. They let me play at midnight on like Sundays, and sometimes they let me have the slot after Walt on Wednesday nights. And that was really the first time that people started sticking around after Walt's show and I'd start singing and, you know, they'd start paying attention and it'd get real quiet. And, you know, I looked like I was 12 up there, you know, at the time, but I was 20 and people started to, to ask, you know, who are you? How old are you? Like, And I just, I just was kind of bumming around Austin trying to get gigs and, and play guitar and sing songs for people. And that was at the Saxon was really the first place that I started to kind of feel like, man, maybe I, I'm right about this thing. I'll be back with more from Parker McCollum after the break. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with Parker McCullum. Well, you had a debut record called The Limestone Kid, which seems to have stuck with you as a nickname. Talk to me about where that record came from and that title for that record. That record was kind of probably my favorite record as far as how I wrote it. You know, I mean, when you're 21 years old, you're living in Austin, you don't know anything. I had a little job from one of my dad's friends that was paying a little bit of money and helping me. I really wasn't doing anything. He was more paying me, just trying to help me have some money in my pocket. And I was living in an apartment. You know, I wasn't going to school or anything. I'd just wake up every day and try to write songs and put together an album. And, and, you know, I I wanted to start a band and and call it the Limestoners. That ranch that I worked on a bunch for my granddad in Grosbeck, Texas, is in Limestone County. And I had the idea for a long time to call the band the Limestoners, which at the time sounded much better than it does now. <laughs> I, I was really, really obsessed with Rodney Crow's record, The Houston Kid. And and I loved that idea. I was always real you know, obsessed with Billy the Kid from the movie Young Guns. And, you know, obviously the concept of the Houston Kid. And I just always really just kind of was infatuated with 
the kid thing and making it at a young age and having success at a young age. And so when I was trying to think of a record name, the limestone kid kind of came to mind. I wrote it down on my desk, on the desk, actually, in Sharpie on the actual physical desk itself. And it was there every day, the whole time I was writing that record. And, you know, I covered one of my brother's songs and one of my older cousin Austin's songs on that record and, and wrote all the rest of them. And never in a million years thought that record would do what it did. It's a great record and it's got Thank such you. a real kind of gritty, authentic sound to it. I could picture it being written in a small apartment in Austin. <laughs> yes. Those were good times, man. I, I didn't realize how, how little responsibility I really had. And, uh, now I do. <laughs> There's a song on the next record that I love called I Can't Breathe. And it seems like one that audiences really respond to in a big way. Do you remember where you were when you wrote that song? Yeah, I was sitting on my coffee table in the kitchen in a house I was living in Austin at the time, down on the southeast side. And there's actually a video on my Instagram way back of the night I wrote it. I wrote the the hook chorus and the girl I was actually dating at the time was upstairs and crying and upset with me and throwing this big fit and doing the whole thing. And I was downstairs playing guitar and I started singing, you know, I can't breathe, baby, I'm dying. And it was real driving, you know, it was real fat. Why are you crying while I'm trying for this love? And I just, I was like, man, that's cool. So I took a little video of it and I think I posted it on my Instagram and that was 2000. And 15, 2016, and I'd been playing at the Saxon Pub a little bit, and a guy named Mickey Braun from a band called Mickey and the Motor Cars had heard me play in there one night and came up to me and said, hey, man, we should write sometime. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And I said, yeah, man, I'd love to. And so actually uh, the next day after I'd written that little I Can't Breathe hook, I took it to Mickey at his house, and we sat down and wrote I Can't Breathe. I had never really co-written before with anybody other than my brother. And so that was the first time ever doing that. And we wrote that song and Lloyd Maines produced that record and just kind of brought that song to life. And again, I never thought that song would be as big as it was. Do you really feel it from a crowd when you sing that song? Oh yeah. We close, we, we close with it every night. <laughs> oh, it's a great one. I just love it. Thank you. So your latest album is called Gold Chain Cowboy, mm-hmm. and there's a song on there called Pretty Heart that has become a huge hit. There seems to be a little self-criticism in that song. Is that just songwriting, or is that you reflecting on some poor decisions that you might have made back in the day? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I used to self-destruct in a way, trying to make myself sad get out of relationships kind of thing so I could write a record. You know, I know it sounds terrible, but that but really is kind of how I would feel songs when I was trying to write records and songs like that. And, and Pretty Heart actually was written, the hook was written while I was writing Probably Wrong, that second record. And I'd forgotten about it for a long, long time. 
the original lyric was, what does that say about me that I could love somebody like you? And we ended up changing it that day when we wrote it to, what does that say about me that I could do you like I did? And I wrote my buddy Randy Montana. And I remember we wrote it that day and I left and I was like, God, that was such a good idea. We just ruined it. I was like, that hook is so good. And then the record label heard it and they wanted to take it to country radio. And I think it charted on Billboard before they ever took it to radio. It was already charted. And so they kind of sped up that process a little bit. And that was all during COVID. You know, that went to number one during COVID. We didn't play a single show the whole time. So pretty rowdy. Parker, would you mind singing just the first few lines of that song? Yeah. I didn't think I was a bad guy. I knew that you were good. You were going on the inside. You loved me the best you could. I'm the one that dropped the ball. Got you high and let you fall. Let the best thing I ever had slip away. What does that say about me? Oh, it's just great. It's a great lyric. It's just got a great feeling to it. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Parker, you played the uh, Houston Rodeo a few months ago. And for anyone who's not from Texas, can you explain what it's like to play there and why that is a big deal? It's like the Super Bowl of rodeos. Uh, I mean, I know the NFR out in Vegas is, but, you know, Houston's certainly up there. And, you know, it's an NRG stadium where the Houston Texans play. I grew up just 40 minutes north of Houston. And so I was a huge Houston Texans fan from 2001, their first year as a team. So that stadium was pretty special to me. And then uh, I would go to the rodeo when I was a kid. My mom took me to see Pat Green there one time when he sold it out when I was probably 11 years old. And I can remember thinking, I'm going to get tears in my eyes talking about this every time. I can remember thinking that night watching Pat, I want to do that. And I want to do that here. And then, you know, I guess I would have been 15, 17 years later, I did, and sold it out, 72,000 people. I mean, what is that scene like? It, it must be an incredible thing to get on that stage and look out at, at all those people and to be in your hometown, basically. You know, it, I've been nervous before shows, before real big shows, or first time like playing the rhyme and I was pretty nervous. But one or two songs in, nerves go away, you're back hundred percent, back to normal. In the rodeo, I just never that never happened. I never could gather myself the whole show. I just felt like like I just I don't know, felt just like a wild ass ride downhill, you know, with no brakes, like I'm not in control right now. You know, the stage is rotating the whole time. That stadium is just massive and so many people um, and you're out in the middle, you know, and I just I couldn't gather myself the whole time. I just I don't remember what I said between songs. I don't remember if I thanked anybody. I, I, may, I may not even sang very well. I don't know. So it was just something that I, I golly, we're, I think we're playing it again next year. I hope we are. And I think I'll be able to kind of handle myself a little better on stage. But it was overwhelming. man. I had worked so hard with that being my ultimate goal i just thought about it for so long in so many empty bars or theaters or four-hour sunday afternoon shows or whatever i'd play and every single one of them i said 
this is going to be worth it. It'll be worth it. Just keep going. It will be worth it. And that was like, I don't know. I mean, I look, I start crying. I get tears in my eyes thinking about it because I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. And uh, I got it. Well, and especially after COVID, after the last couple of years, after you having an album come out and then not being able to tour, that must have been especially gratifying. Yeah, just, I don't know, to want something that badly and work that hard when you know people are just like, yeah, make it music business, bud. You know they're saying that when you walk out of every room. To actually do it was just like, oh, it was so worth it. Every piece of BS was so worth it. Hmm. Well, you have had a very big year, to say the least. You won New Male Artist of the Year at the ACMs a few months ago. But even bigger than that, you got married recently. I did. To Hallie Ray. Am I saying that right? You are very, one of the very few people who say it right. <laughs> and y'all got married down in Tomball, Texas. I probably didn't say that right. Yeah, Tomball, yes, sir. <laughs> so that's just down the road from where you grew up. Tell me some of the favorite moments from that day. Um, man, I was sick as a dog. I played in Arizona the night before, or two nights before. This huge dust storm just woke up. I mean, just sick as a dog. I took steroid pills and all this medicine and stuff trying to get it together. And I was fine. Once the day started, my adrenaline was going. It was great. But, man, I, I'll say... I didn't, obviously, I'd never been married before, so I didn't know what to expect at a wedding. Yeah, obviously, I've been to them, but I've never been the one getting married. But you know, the things that I said that day, I wrote in the letter that her dad and I talked about, I never said stuff like that out loud before. And, or if I had, it's certainly been a long time since then. And I just remember after it, I was like, man, I was way, way, way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Not that I didn't think it would be cool, but I, I just, I don't know. My parents split when I was eight and I was just, you know, that was on my mind when I was thinking about getting married or thinking about asking her to marry me. And I was like, man, I really don't want to do that to my future kids one day. I was like, I just think it's so important. Something so understated and undervalued in our society nowadays is having parents. And so that was a really big thing for me. I just remember afterwards, I was like, golly, I just, I could not have made a better decision. That was just such a, a wonderful day so much better than I thought it was going to be it was I'll never do it again but it was awesome (laughs) well it's still pretty new so congratulations thank you so y'all are planning to head back to Texas or to be spending a whole lot more time in Texas is that right yes sir yeah I've been I've been looking at ranches for quite a while now obviously everybody knows right now real estate's just the worst it's ever been for someone trying to buy something. So I'm just, you know, no rush. I mean, I'm never home anyways. You know, I've got this big house in Nashville and, you know, I, I got home yesterday morning for the first time in a week and a half and I leave tomorrow night for two weeks. So I don't, I don't even know how much time I would have to enjoy that, that ranch right now. But I just, I know I want to be closer to my mom and dad. And my grandparents are, are getting up there and I just, I can't go drive to see them anymore. Just kind of stuff like that. Man, I know it sounds corny and, and all that, but. I needed to get out of Austin. I needed to come here and just get out of what I was doing there. And it's been probably one of the better decisions I've ever made in my life was just take a year or two to get out of there. 
but I just, I don't know, man, I, I, it's as much as I love it up here, it's beautiful. I love where I live, but it's not home. Yeah. Well, you've got a great song called Young Man's Blues, where you seem to really miss that small town life. You miss Texas. So it sounds like something that's been on your mind for a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, even when I was leaving, I didn't really want to go, but I was not doing what I should have been. I was just heading down the wrong road. And I knew I'd been there, you know, nine years and felt like I'd done what I needed to do there. And I said, man, I, I have to get out. I got to get out of whatever I'm, this hole that I'm in here. And it was through COVID and all that. I know it was hard on everybody, whatever, but just me personally, I had to go. Yeah, you know, I've got a song on this next record and the first line of the chorus on one of the songs. It says, why was I itching to get out of Nashville so bad? And it's because as soon as I came here full time, I was like, I'm going back. I'm going back. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to stick it out. Like, I'll, it'll be fine. Howie moved up here and all that happened. And man, it's just been such a good decision. I really am, am glad that I, that I did that, but 100% on the way back. <laughs> well, Parker, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be a Texan? It's clearly and obviously best state in the country, no <laughs> question. But man, I, I take a lot of pride in what I do for a living, and I try to hold myself to a high standard and expect a lot out of myself. And I think you know, the state of Texas mindset, being a Texan, holds that in that same regard. So I think I just identify with it really well. You know, if I'm that way of my own personal life, that mindset and that attitude of being from Texas, just I think I get along with that very well. <laughs> well, Parker McCollum, thanks so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. All right, thanks, Sid. Appreciate it, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Parker McCollum. You can check out his latest album, Gold Chain Cowboy, wherever you get music. Make sure to visit parkermccullum.com for tour dates, social media, and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Make sure to come back here next week for my conversation with Vince Gill.